with four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And when they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Okay, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, others, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked him for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Father, we know from your word, from your scripture, that the reason for our existence is to glorify you. We know that why you have created humanity was to shine forth your glory even more. You wanted us humans to share in what a glorious relationship it, it is. And yet, God, we also know other parts of the scripture that we fall short of that glory. In our sinful state, by our sinful nature, by the sins that we choose to commit, we fall short of the glory of God. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us. 
in the same way that you saved us by grace through our faith, through our trust in the gospel. God, would you remind us that we are saved? Would you remind us of our salvation? Would you restore us to the joy of our salvation so that we might honor you, so that we might glorify you? Father, for us to do that this morning by what we have in your word, you are going to have to help us. You are going to have to step in and show us exactly what it is you have for us in your word. We cannot change our own hearts. But you can. God, would you help us to see you? Would you help us to behold the face of Jesus so that we might grow deeper into a relationship with you, so that we might grow deeper into a a deeper dependence on you so that our lives might scream out that we glorify you. For this to happen, Father, we pray that if there is anything I say that is against you, that would show something false about you, I pray that you would help us to all forget it. And if possible, Father, keep it from my mouth. And if there is anything that as we read, as we think, that, uh, that comes to our minds that is against you, because we are sinful and we have an enemy that delights to show us wrong things about you, God, would you stop it? Would you remove it from our minds and let us see only you in this time? Would you remove every distraction that we have from this week, every, every tribulation that we hold that is heavy on our hearts? Would you remove it from us, Father? Help us to see only you. Shine light into the darkness of our lives and hearts. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How does the word of God increase and multiply? We see two ways. Uh, The first is knowledge of God increases through suffering. And knowledge of God increases through trust. Knowledge of God increases through suffering. And the knowledge of God increases through trust. Let's begin with the first one. We begin our passage with, uh, I love it. It's it's the one of the most artistic uh, writings, just the whole book of of Luke and Acts as he writes. But um, this passage specifically is just amazing. Um, And I love that he just starts with a vague time reference uh, about that time. I just think that's really funny. I don't know why. Uh, But we meet for the first time King Herod. It's not the same King Herod that we kind of see throughout the New Testament. Um, He's only one of them. For some reason, they like to keep the same name. Um, But this is Agrippa I. Uh, Agrippa's grandfather, Herod the Great, he was the one who had, uh, he murdered babies. Uh, Because what happened was the Magi came to visit him, and they were like, hey, look, there's going to be this baby born, and he will be the king of the Jews. Uh, He did not like that. He was supposed to be king of the Jews. So every baby from two years and and under, he goes and kills them all, has them all killed. Uh, Agrippa's uncle, he was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And Agrippa, our King Herod here, 
he put to death three of his own sons on suspicion of treason. He put to death his favorite wife out of ten. I don't know why that ended up happening. And then her mom. He invited people to go swimming, and then he would drown them in his pool. It was the, it was the death march, going swimming with the guy. Uh, and he killed several uncles and a couple of his cousins. Caesar Augustus uh, wrote about Agrippa I, and he said, I'd rather be his pig than his son. Both of them get slaughtered, but one is treated better. That's crazy. But we're not dealing with a soft man here. This is a violently murderous man. And so when Luke wrote this name to Theophilus, both of them know the weight that it carries. Something dark was coming. When he reads King Herod, he knows, oh man, this is not going to go well. They know better who captured Peter. This is why later on in the story we have such a, a great part of like, nope, that's his angel. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him because uh, he's dead. Because he went to King Herod's hand and they had him guarded with all of these people. It's not him. It was his angel. That's why they don't go out to him. This is the King Herod we see here. A Christ-hating, glory-seeking, violently evil man. So verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Most likely means he was beheaded. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Uh, so most likely what he did was he saw, okay, the, this is the leadership of the church, but I'm going to go for one of the lesser leaders. Peter, he's like the guy. I'm going to go for this guy. He's one of the 12, but he's not the guy. Um, so let me kill him and then see you know, what the Jews think. And then once the Jews are pleased by him, he's like, all right, now let me go get Peter. But this is, the enemy loves to break things down from within. So Herod's gunning for the leader of it all, not knowing that the true rock was Jesus. Not Peter, not any apostle, not any person at all, but Jesus. And so he's not going to kill the thing. Verse 4, and when he sees them, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, uh, which means it's four squads of four men. Sixteen men are guarding Peter. Probably because they know uh, other parts of Acts where Peter <laughs> escapes miraculously from jail by the angel of the Lord. Um, so he's like, all right, let's put four squads of men around him uh, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Uh, so Peter is going to be killed. Opposition is inevitable for believers. And we have to know this. So that when it comes, it's seen as God's sovereign plan to make us more like Jesus, not something that is going to destroy us. God's people have always faced suffering. In 11 chapters of Acts so far, believers have faced beatings, threats, intimidation, stoning to death, and now beheadings. We should never be surprised when the fiery trial comes. When we face opposition and suffering, because we're going to see the increase of the word happen too. We should be surprised when uh, opposition, when suffering aren't happening. As believers, if it is not difficult to be a believer where you are, most likely it is not a true faith. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, 
I'm just reading these off. I'll, I'll give you the, what passage it comes from. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Brother will deliver a brother to death and father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and they will all be hated by all for my namesake. That's Matthew 10, 21. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. John 16, 1. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad at His glory. Notice 1 Peter 4.12 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. I count the sufferings of this present time unworthy to be compared to the glory that, we, that will be revealed. Romans 8.16 For it has been granted to you that for, your, that for your sake you should not only believe, but suffer. Philippians 1.29 It's not something we can escape. For believers, persecution, suffering is going to happen. This is part of God's plan. For us, it might be physical. It might be emotional. It might be spiritual. But it is all suffering that drives us to the throne room of grace for help. Suffering is a grace from a loving father. Suffering is the sheepdog nipping at our heels, driving us back to the shepherd and back to the flock. At least it should. What does this have to do with God's word increasing? How does this happen through suffering? Because what suffering does, did you see in verse 5? The church gathers. And then Peter runs back to the church. Yes, what happened is horrible. It is horrible suffering that a man was beheaded because of the name of Christ. But look at what's happening. The church is gathering. The church is praying. Peter was saved by it. And so just think about it. Why do you specifically suffer the way that you do? If there's not one of us in this room that does not have some sort of suffering, why is it that you suffer the way that you do? Colossians 1, 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Our suffering, believers, is how the increasing and multiplying and filling of God's kingdom happens because we don't suffer for our own sake. We suffer the pain of death. We suffer marital strife. We suffer tension at work, demonic oppression, and potentially even martyrdom. But for others, there really is no point if we suffer a week of suffering to come together on a Sunday in the name of Christ if it's only for our selfish benefit. That's how people get burnt out and leave the church. Because it's never going to be enough. But if it's not about us, if it's about other people, and about how my suffering helps me to be empathetic, and how my suffering helps me to see others in a new light, 
and how my suffering leads me to come and just say, I need help. Will you pray with me? Suffering leads us back to the shepherd. It is the sheepdog driving us back to the shepherd. But then with the shepherd is other sheep. It drives us back to each other. If it's for the redemption of another, then it means something. Then the cost that it is to be a friend, the cost that we have to pay to help, to be a counselor, to be what God has called us to be is absolutely worth it. Of course it's hard. It is suffering. We could, potentially, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I think uh, it will happen eventually, we could lose our lives for what we believe. Will it be worth it for you? Jesus paid his life, suffered beatings, lashings, a crown of thorns, nails through his hands and feet for us. It was not for his own benefit. He prayed for the cup to be removed from him. He did it for the joy that was set before him for you and for me. And so we as believers join him in that suffering to display the nature of God. Do you view suffering this way? The trials that you have experienced, who can you now turn to to help them to see Jesus the way that no one pointed you to him? Do you tend to isolate yourself in suffering? Knowledge of God increases through suffering because it leads us, where else are we going to go? What else can we turn to that gives us peace, that gives us joy, except for the God where it increases all the time. It's ever-expanding. That's where we return to. That's how the knowledge of God increases. That's how the word of God increases and multiplies is because these men and women, as they're sitting there, as James, their beloved friend, was just beheaded, where else are they going to go now? But to each other, but to God. <clears throat> knowledge of God increases through suffering, but it also increases through trust. Look at verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. I love the imagery here. Sleeping. About to be killed, potentially, yet fully at peace. Uh, it should lead us back to a picture of Jesus. As the storm's going crazy, he's in the boat, he's asleep. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I am asleep. I'm fully at peace, knowing that I have a fellowship with my father. He's between two soldiers, which makes the escape even more amazing. We don't know how close they are, but he's between two men, got 16 men around him, sentries at the gate. Doesn't matter. God is, if God wants you out of a situation, God is going to do it, clearly. Um, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison, verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. Uh, as opposed to, you know, the slow rise when somebody hits you in the ribs. Um, but Peter doesn't recognize what's happening. 
he thinks he's dreaming. He thinks like, okay, this is a vision. Um, so he, he comes to eventually after the angel has led him out and they've walked and the iron gate just opens on its own. Uh, he comes to because the angel left um, he, and he goes to the place where people are praying. He goes to the church. He goes to his people in verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, you're Peter. You've just been released. <laughs> All of these guys you know, are going to eventually find out what's happening. Uh, you're not super far. You're in the same city here. Uh, hold up, Rhoda. <laughs> Come back. I know that you're excited, but I'm still out here. Um, but she comes back eventually, even though no one uh, believed her, because that's Agrippa. Remember, that's, that's who Peter was in, in the hands of. Peter surely did, but he's not. He's not a ghost. He's not an angel. And so they are amazed. And then verse 17, uh, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, because he knows, I just escaped. You guys need to be quiet. He describes to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. It's so simple there, which means it can be so simply overlooked. But who does Peter ascribe the glory to here? He doesn't say it was luck. He doesn't say it was happenstance. He doesn't say that uh, God wasn't through with him yet. He doesn't point to himself at, at all. He doesn't even say the angel brought him out. He knows that far and above everything else, God is the one who had to have delivered him because God is the one orchestrating all of his life. So whatever good comes, it's not because Peter realizes that, you know what, I see why God brought me out of prison. It's because I'm the only one who can speak to the Jews in such a way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty bold guy. I see why God brought me out of here. No, God can use a donkey if he wants to. He did. But he so chooses to use sinful men and women to increase his kingdom, to increase the knowledge of God. And so any glory that comes ultimately should go back to the right place. The one who is glory. Peter gives glory to God for his deliverance because it's God's work. And so it's God's glory. But in all of this, we see how else the knowledge of God increases. Uh, everything that happens throughout this whole story uh, with James, with Peter, with the church gathering to pray, all of it is marked by faith. All of it is marked by trust, by trusting in the... James, fully entrusting his life to God, says, I will go. I will be killed. Peter, entrusting his life. He follows an angel walking past men who could kill him that moment. The church gathers to pray because they trust that God is the one who can do something about this situation. It is all marked by faith. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6 says this, uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, ascribe glory to him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust. Have faith. Believe in the good news of the gospel again. Believe that you are indeed forgiven. 
once and for all and forever in what God has done through his son at the cross. Trust and he will make straight our paths. Trust and he will increase his kingdom through us. Just think about it. The despair you feel after sinning. You know consciously this is not something I was supposed to have done and yet I did it and now I'm here. Maybe you do feel a despair after sinning and you have guilt feelings or maybe you feel nothing at all. Maybe there is a lack of guilt feelings. We drag them all. No matter what we have, whether it's a little bit of something, whether it's a lot of something, we drag it all back to the cross. And we view everything in light of what Jesus has done at the cross. And at the cross, do any sins outweigh? Do any sins that we have, that we could bring, do they outweigh the grace that we have at the cross? Absolutely not. And so now we go free again. We are reminded at the cross every day for believers, we are reminded, I am forgiven. I have been forgiven. I am covered in Jesus. It's so easy. It's so, we are so quick to forget because we are sinful, because we have a finite mind. We cannot ever understand God, and so we probably won't ever understand fully the, how the gospel works, what it means to us. But it doesn't make it not true. And so we return to it. We return to the wells of, of salvation and, and bring joy again. You and I, if we are believers, by the grace of God alone through faith, are saved. Feel the weight of that again. You and I deserve none of it. In fact, we deserve the the exact opposite. We deserve wrath because we rebelled against a glorious God in our sins, in the things that we choose to do, in in our very nature, the things that we think. We deserve wrath. We deserve punishment. And yet God, through his son, has said, I will cover it so that you can go free, so that you can stand in my presence in the glory and you won't fall short any longer because Jesus did not fall short. The wrath that lay on our heads was replaced by the blood of Jesus. That we might be covered in his spotless blood. And we live free in that hope. We live free in the hope that one day every pain, sin, and suffering, all of it will one day be finished. All of it will one day be redeemed. We have hope. Why? Why is it true? In John 16, Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, ever-increasing peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart. 
I have overcome the world. Believers, whatever it is this morning that is weighing you down, the sin that you certainly feel because we are sinners, take heart. One day it will be finished because of what Jesus has done. Jesus gives us the good news of the gospel to take heart in. That Christ crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. We do fight an enemy, but we fight a defeated enemy. He triumphed over death as he walked out of the tomb. He ascended into heaven and is ruling and reigning over everything. And soon, one day soon, he will return to judge the living and the dead. This king is completely in control of everything. And he said all of this so that we might have peace with God. Because it's impossible for sinners like us to to be before God unless his wrath on our heads is satisfied. For those who believe, it absolutely is. It was placed on Jesus once and for all. Jesus has overcome the world. That is why every guilt feeling you have, every sinful feeling, uh, sinful thought that we have that that leads us to despair because we're like, gosh, I'm there again. It is heavy, but it has been overcome. So we return. We have hope. This is our hope and our peace. This is our ever-increasing hope and peace. We cannot ever get to know God enough. This knowledge will always be increasing. There's always a deeper level to go with your Father. There's always more and more to draw from the wells of salvation. So my hope is don't ever stop. There is never a moment in your life where you cannot open your Bible, open the very Word of God, and read that I am forgiven again. Still, the cross has not changed. Even though I have sinned, it is not different for me because my hope does not lie in me but in Christ. Never stop returning. Not only does our relationship with our Father grow deeper and deeper. It gets better and better. I don't know how that that makes sense. I don't know how that this God and knowledge of Him will ever increase. It doesn't make any humanly sense. But amen, that is the God that we serve. Who wants to serve a God that we can get to know fully? That would mean He's not God. And so our response to something like this uh, is first, not to do anything, but to trust. To trust that the gospel is true. To believe again and by trust, by faith in the good news of Jesus Christ again, we submit back to God. We submit back to his rule. We live under his rule again. We turn from our sins again, and we live according to what he has for us again. I just want to read this to you. Uh, I I know it's from the Bible. I copied and pasted it from the Bible. I can't tell you where it's at. I forgot to write that part. Verse 12 says, though, May the Lord make your love 
increase and overflow to what he has for us. Uh, Sorry, make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts again so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And it is an absolute, deeper, ever-increasing joy to do so. Everything that we are called to do is first marked by we trust, we have faith, we believe, and then everything else, loving each other, growing closer with each other, being a friend, even though everything that we are called to do is costly, it is an absolute joy to do so. Because in Christ, we are part of such a thing as this. And so we draw from the well again, return to our friends, return to those who need love, and we show them love more and more and more because we have an endless well that we draw from. By his life, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, we are brought into a kingdom such as this. Uh, One warning, though, if you look to verse 20, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Whatever it is this life can show us that we can trust in, we dare not trust in it, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. So the warning is that for those who are unbelievers in the room, as it sits right now, there is no way for you to glorify your Father. There is no way that the, the Scripture, for all have fallen short and, and uh, fall short of the glory of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is no changing that on your own. And God will be just to deliver you over into hell. But there is a way. And that's the point. This word can ever increase by you taking a hold of it, by you believing. There is knowledge of God that is readily apparent for you in Jesus. Would you believe? One of the most amazing things about this kingdom is that we celebrate death with a smile. Uh, We celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and we're going to do that here in a minute. But we do it with a smile. The most horrific suffering of an undeserving sufferer 
We celebrate it. All because of what the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection does. And so for you and I, in the same way, whatever suffering comes, we will one day celebrate. Because uh, we will one day know that made me look more like Jesus. And so uh, we celebrate by the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer, uh, you're welcome to the tables as, as part of this family by faith, by grace through faith. Um, but uh, if you are not a believer or if you're in any unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat. 1 Corinthians says that you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But the good news of the gospel is only good news to bad news. And the bad news is there are none of us worthy. None of us worthily partake of this. We hold the elements of the only one worthy. We hold the symbol of the only one who was able to take on this cup of wrath. And so we drive ourselves back to Jesus, our only hope. And so if you're an unbeliever, uh, I ask that in this time you would pray for God to save you. Not because we want uh, to rejoice with you, although we do, but because we want to see you one day. And your Father has made a way for it to happen. If you're in unrepentant sin, turn from your sin. There's nothing keeping you from returning except yourself. But your hope is not in you. For all of us, here is our prayer. Father, I admit my sinfulness before you and pray that you would remind me now of the covering you have provided for me in Jesus. Would you, by your grace, give me the faith to believe in Jesus' finished work on the cross for my salvation and identity, that I may not turn from you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So take your time to pray through what it is God has given you, whether that is to be saved for the first time, whether that is to be reminded of your salvation, take your time. And when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room on two tables. Grab them, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. Christ alone, our cornerstone. Our hope is found nowhere else. But it is found by Jesus being revealed to us by a gracious God in heaven. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Because we know ourselves 
We know how sinful we are and can be. And we know that we do not deserve an ounce of mercy. By definition, it means undeserved. And yet, you showed it to us. Father, it is mysterious. It doesn't make any sense. But we thank you for it. And we cling to it. And we hold tight to the image of Jesus that we see. So that we always do have a hope that no matter what comes, whether it is even death, your kingdom is not thwarted. In fact, it's the way. Your son experienced it. You are calling us now to experience it in the sun. And yet, somehow, mysteriously again, it is a, an easy yoke to bear. Father, would you give us rest this morning again? Would you help us to see the truth of the gospel again so that we might rest in it alone? God, in ways that only you can, would you build up our faith? Would you remind us of the hope of the resurrection? Father, please help us. We believe, but we have so much unbelief. Will you help us? Help us to believe, Father. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.